gone on before us in this week, uh, whatever um, the coming days hold for us, that you invite us here for this stopping point to be realigned. We thank you that you nourish us on your word and on your table and in the company of one another, and that we can find, um, remember that our feet are rooted upon you. That is a secure place. So we offer that up in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't sit down yet. Um, our middle schoolers are, can head off to their class. And then uh, before you find a seat, uh, find somebody maybe that you don't know and answer. Um, if you had to choose, would you prefer it too hot in Tucson or too cold? And have a seat. Thrilling. 
And then he, uh, last week we saw that it, the news gets a little bit more challenging. Because he says, by the way, when I send you out, you don't get to take anything. You're not going to take a staff to protect yourself. You're not going to have any extra change to get food along the way. No extra clothes to keep you warm. And then you're looking for shoes. So your feet are going to be hurting. And, and it's like, oh, this is, this will be challenging. This will be difficult for us. And then Jesus here in verse 16 of chapter 10 um, almost kind of ramps it up another whole thing. It goes from challenging to actually being a little scary, perhaps perhaps dangerous. And what he says to them um, would make, I think that they would want to stop and going, we're not going. We, we, before we were nervous about it, now we're going to, we're not going out and doing this. Because if this is true, um, we would be crazy to go out. And so that's what Jesus lays out for us. And so we will need to hear it. So what I'd like to do, I'm actually going to read um, the whole rest of chapter 10. And what I'd like you to do, um, maybe not look at it in your Bible, but pretend that Jesus is here this morning. Um, I'm not, but the words we have are his exact words. These are the words Jesus spoke uh, to them. And so when I read them, it's Jesus speaking. Um, and I want you to pretend that Jesus comes, the service is over. We always, our fourth part of our, work, of our uh, liturgy is what? Sending, right? We get sent out. We don't just leave, we get sent. And Jesus is going, the service is done. Jesus stands up here and says, I want to tell you something. And then I'm going to send you out the doors into your city. All the ways you're going to go. But I want you to tell you something before you walk out. And this is what he's going to say to us. This is what he's speaking to us. So listen to those words as though you're about to walk out um, into the rest of this, this day and this week coming up. He says this to us. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the middle of wolves. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. They will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged out before governors and kings for my sake in order to bear witness before them. And when they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you're to speak or what to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father will speak through you. Brother will deliver over brother to death. And your father will deliver up his child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And as you go, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And they persecute you in one place, we to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The disciple is not above his teacher, nor the servants above their masters. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. So if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those who are part of his house? But have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, I want you to speak it out in the light. What you hear whispered, I want you to Claim it out loud on the housetops. Don't fear those who will kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body and hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the Father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. 
So fear not, therefore, you are more value than all the sparrows. And everyone acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my fathers in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but I have brought the sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, to set a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be right in the middle of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy. Whoever does love son or daughter more than me, that one is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever of you finds your wife, you will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, they are the ones who will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet gets a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So what are you thinking? Hard, isn't it? Um, and these are the words that Jesus speaks. And then he says, Go, go up, go do these things. There's a lot here. Um, we're not going to get all of it. There's a couple of verses here, by the way, that are really difficult ones. Uh, like, what is that about? Um, I probably won't say anything about them. Um, but I, I'm more than happy. They're, they're challenging. There are a couple of challenging verses that do, do raise some. Big questions. So please ask me about them. I'd be happy to talk about them. Um, what I want to do is kind of, kind of almost summarize what Jesus is saying about the gospel as we take it out in places that we go. Um, be aware that the disciples went out after this in, in groups of two. Um, I imagine they were talking about this as they were walking, going, "What is going to happen to us?" Um, in this first episode, they come back, we hear it in Luke, they come back and they're excited because all sorts of wonderful things happen and they see the power of God. Um, like many things that Jesus says and are said in the Bible, that it, it looks out across time. And as they go out multiple times, things get harder for them. So initially, we may go out, this may not happen to us. We may experience some of these things, but they do. And as a matter of fact, you look through the history of the church and you can see increasingly the disciples, they experienced all these things before they gave their lives to Christ, and it just increases over time. Um, so it's, uh, it doesn't mean that all this happened the minute they went out. It just gets kind of um, spread out as they go. So um, in 24 and 25, Jesus says to them, um, the disciples, the learners, are supposed to be like their master, right? And he says, so as you go out, imitate me, be like me. And when you go out being like me and carrying the gospel of the kingdom, what's going to happen? That's basically his time. This is what is going to happen as you go out carrying the gospel. And so we want to specifically look at that. What impact does carrying the gospel have out into our world have? And it doesn't give us all here because we know that there's lots of harvest that comes, but there's also some very, very hard things that come as we take the gospel out. I'd like to share three of those this morning. The first thing the gospel does when it goes out is it disrupts. The gospel disrupts 
people, places, gatherings, organizations, institutions, the gospel when going out disrupts. Imagine um, this very first verse is the most shocking one of all. Jesus says, I'm going to send you out. By the way, I love you and I care about you and all that, but guess what? I'm going to, you're all sheep. I'm going to, wolves are going to be dropped right in the middle of you is what's going to happen. If you imagine a pen of sheep um, who are just eating, paying no attention to anything, and you drop a pack of wolves in the middle, there's disruption. <laughs> Everything scatters. Um, and that's, that's what he says here is going to happen. There's this disruption as the gospel comes in. Verse 17, he says, and by the way, if, if you're not wondering about that there are wolves preying on the sheep and the things that are going here, all you got to do is pick up the old February world news thing that we have that was in the bulletin a few weeks ago. Even this one, the front, the first page is talking about things that are happening in the world to believers in this very, very moment. And they, they know this um, very tangibly as we walk through these things. But verse 17 says, Beware of men. They will deliver you to courts. And this is religious courts here. And flog you in their synagogues. And then they'll be dragged before governors and kings. And then verse 21 says, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father's child and children will rise up against parents and put him to death. And disruption happens in at least three arenas. The first one is in a religious arena. So among those who they would have been actually fellowshipping with up at this point, in their synagogues, they were going to experience um, this, the gospel is going to disrupt those places. And they weren't going to be welcome there anymore. They were going to experience some difficulty. Um, we've already seen this with Jesus as the religious elite begin to press against him and oppose his message because they were losing grip on the things that they held on to so tightly. And so here within, at least they think within our own group, the other Israelites that we've all kind of grabbed on the same thing, at least within that group, things should be okay, but guess what they're not? The gospel disrupts. So it disrupts within their own, uh, their own synagogues. We see it through history. Um, eventually the religious leaders rise up against Jesus himself and, and, and turn him over. It happens to the disciples. They, they increasingly through the book of Acts gets more and more severe um, as, as the religious leaders come against them. And in the history of the church, it wasn't always those outside the church that do the persecuting. It's sometimes within the church itself. Even we're celebrating the 500 years of the Reformation, really good stuff. But there was a lot of stuff that wasn't good that came that happens too as, as groups are figuring out where they landed. So you have um, groups that we would say are part of our heritage today who actually persecuted other Christian groups because they were in a different place. So the gospel disrupts and it brings difficulty even among their own. Second of all, there's disruption um, in the civil authorities. It says that they're going to be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness. We see that again with Jesus. We see it with the disciples. We see it in the book of Acts. They they're thrown in prison. They have to give testimony. Um, they kill some of them. But it disrupts um, the institutions of our government that we live in that, that rule over us in different ways. And here it's going to disrupt those places. Um, you just got to go through church history and you can see, like, even the Roman Empire, the increasing severity of persecution that happened in the church that came from the Roman government. Um, we just, we, I, I was going to think of reading through some of the things they did. I'm not going to read those things because they're just, they're awful. They're awful. And um, that is happening today as governments oppress believers in, in a variety of ways. And so the gospel brings disruption, and the institutions that rule over us often have a reaction to it. And then thirdly, it disrupts households. It disrupts households. It talks about here brothers delivering brothers over to death and the father's own child and 
children rising against parents. Um, it obviously happens um, in some places where parent, uh, family members actually turn over other family members. Um, we, uh, I was in Amsterdam in the, the 70s and working in a youth hostel, and there were a lot of um, uh, workers from uh, the Mideast who were working illegally in Amsterdam in the shipping yards, and they stayed in the youth hostel. We had a Arabic Bible study. And so for them to pick up a Bible and start reading it was everybody, their friends all gave them a, that kind of looked like Nessus were doing that. And we had several guys who came to Christ in that, and immediately they were deported. It was almost like two days later, once they shared it. And it was oftentimes their own brothers who were part of their group there that was sent, getting sent back, and we never would hear from them again. And so there's a sense of family rising up. But sometimes it can be the disruption of just um, in the households in, in this time when people align themselves to Christ and others had rejected his Messiah, it created disruption in their own household. Because you had one person who was a follower and one person who was not. And they're together and they're still a household, but there's, there's stress here. Many of us here know that. Know that kind of pain. When there's not unity in our own household over our faith. And the disruption that it brings. And it's difficult and painful. And Jesus says, the gospel does that. When it comes into, it gets preached out and laid out. Be clear here that Jesus is... Um, saying that the gospel disrupts. We want to be sure it's not our attitudes and the way we live that disrupts in awful ways. Uh, let's be sure it's the gospel. It's not our own sinful actions. Let's be sure it's not our own personal agendas that disrupt our undisciplined tongues, our condemning attitudes. The church has often been really poor in terms of taking a good gospel and displaying it in ways that are ungodly in many ways. And then we, did, then we say, well, we're being mistreated, but we're not being mistreated. It's because of not the gospel, it's the way we present it. 1 Peter 2.12 says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they do speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Verse 13, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. He's saying this to people who he also knows are going to persecute them. Whether it be to the emperor, or supreme, or the governors, is sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Um, as believers, we often bring trouble upon ourselves um, just because we're self-centered. That's what happens sometimes. And here Jesus is saying, no, it's the gospel that disrupts. As we faithfully speak and display the gospel in our lives, it creates disruption. But let's not make sure it's because of the way we're acting. It's the way, it's actually the gospel itself. Second of all, the gospel, and this is similar, but a little different, the gospel divides. It, it, um, as much as we want to get around it, when the gospel gets spoken, there's got to be a response to it. And we're going to see this in chapter 11. We've already talked about that. There's some who are going to grab onto it and embrace it. There are those that will be apathetic or not really sure what to think about it. And there will be those who actually oppose it, strongly oppose it. And the gospel does it. It, it. We've got to figure out what we do with it and how we align with it. Verse 22, it says, you're going to be hated by all for my name's sake. That's a division, a, a sharing of the gospel, and the response comes back in hate. A disciple is not above his teacher. says, you're going to be like me, then, how much, then what's going to happen is you're going to be maligned because of that. The gospel divides. Verse 34, it says, do not think that I came to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law, and a person's enemies, and a 
very own household. So exactly what is happening here. Um, division happens around Jesus. It just does. Um, and it, I'm, I'm one of those people, I like to be like the um, Labrador Retriever. I just want everybody to be happy, right? So let's share it. And if you're not okay with it, it's all right. We'll give you time. And just want everything to be kind of okay with all that. And move through it. And work hard at that. Um, but when the gospel is spoken and truth is spoken, there's, there's got to be a response to it. There's, we have to do something with Jesus. And um, as much as we don't want to see a reaction against it, he says here, this is what's going to happen. Not everyone is going to say yes to it. And some are going to say no to it. Not only no to it, they're going to say no to you. They're going to press against you. And he prepares them for that. The vision happens around Jesus, who he is and what his message is. Um, alignment happens when the gospel is taught and lived out, and as I said, aligned to either oppose it or to be in favor. Um, later on in, in John, remember the story, Jesus says some things that are harder than this, because he says things that get harder and harder, and a bunch of people all just start going, that's it, we're done with him, we are, the gospel divides, they say we're, we're done, they walk away. And the disciples who are thinking they would like to walk away as well, because what he just said is very hard. And Jesus says to him, are you guys going to go as well? As the gospel down, come down and divide it, and we're going to go this way. And their response is, of course, yes, we'd like to go away, but their answer is, no, we're not, because you've got the words of truth. And so they grab a hold of it, but the gospel divides. We can even embrace it, or there can be a response of hate. Um, I think that hate comes, um, if we've all had this happen. So I won't say has this ever happened to you. I think everybody's done this at least once. Okay? When somebody challenged you with something that convicted your heart, they were right what they challenged you with. But you didn't want to hear it. And so your response was, well, you always do this, right? What do we do? We put something back on them in order to avoid dealing with what's here. And so when the gospel comes and it scriptures talk about it, it's like a, a, the word of God is a living and active, like a two-edged sword, and it pierces our hearts with truth, and it, it reveals, and um, when we are saying, oh gosh, that's painful, but Lord, I'm, I'm going to listen, and we receive it, but there's times when it pierces our hearts, it convicts, and I'm like, I'm not hearing that, I'm not ready to take and listen to that, and so what's the response back? It's a pushback, to cast out hate. And that's what Jesus says is going to happen. He's not saying here, I'm bringing violence. Um, I, he's, he makes it very clear later on that that's not what this is about. But the gospel, in a sense, does violence on the heart. If I could use that word. Uh, because there's an idol in our hearts. And before Christ, that idol is firmly rooted. That is our heart. And the gospel comes along and it wants to remove that idol and put Christ where it's supposed to be. And that's a battle. And the gospel comes along, and it's going to do violence in our hearts because that's what conviction does. It's going to wants to tear that down, and it's painful and difficult, and it's life giving when we say yes to it because Christ takes up rulership. And so, when the gospel goes, sometimes that pressing in of the sword of the Spirit and of the Word on hearts divides. Our response to that is, am I going to let the word shape my heart? Uh, am I going to trust that as the gospel gets lived out among other people, I'll trust the Spirit to do His own work in people's hearts? That's not my job. Um, 
Remember, as we said, there's three responses. Receive it, apathy towards it, or opposition. And we would, um, I would desperately desire to skip this, that there's not those kind of responses. But this is what Jesus said. This is the response that sometimes comes the gospel provides. And then third of all, the gospel demands something of us. Um, this does not mean that we're not accepted as we are, that Jesus is not working with us, but Jesus puts out some high demands. In the power of the Spirit, we can actually live these things out, but there's at least four of them here. Verse 19 and 20 says they're going to drag you before, um, before the kings and governors, um, and he says, don't worry about what you're going to say. That seems kind of strange, doesn't it? It's like, i got to write it down ahead of time or something, because when I'm going to stand here before this person, I need to know what to say. What do we do? Jesus says, don't be anxious about it. He says, in that hour, by the way, which means not before, I'll give you what to say. I will give you the grace you need in that moment. And the Spirit's going to speak through you. As a matter of fact, we see that in the book of Acts. We get um, like the spirit of Stephen, who gets dragged in before these guys and they're going to kill him. And we've got this huge chunk of the book of Acts given over to Stephen's speech. You read it. It is a a marvelous recitation filled the spirit of the history of Israel and God's work in it. It's just amazing. He didn't write that ahead of time. You know, it just it just came. But he didn't have it beforehand. Maybe God was doing a work in us beforehand. But he says, you got to trust me. When we go out and take the gospel and things come against it, we don't know what's going to happen down the road. Trust me that I'm in this. And I'll guide you what to do. I'll guide you with your actions and your words and your thoughts and your deeds. Trust me in this. Which the disciples are probably exactly thinking of what is going to happen to us. Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. Going, oh, they, we didn't want to hear this. So what, what do we do? And Jesus says, trust me. You'll, you'll know what to do when the time comes. Um, and so Jesus demands a fairly high level of trust um, that we would not be anxious in these places, but that we would trust the Holy Spirit to actually speak through us and live through us in ways that make a difference. Second of all, he demands boldness from them. Verse 27 and 28 says, what I'm telling you in the dark, I want you to speak out in the light. Because the tendency here is like, this is going to happen, let's just keep it quiet. You know, I'll whisper in somebody's ear, Jesus, I want you to speak it out, let the light go out. What, what I'm whispering to you, I want you to proclaim this with a voice out on, in the housetops. And he says, do not fear those who kill the body. The implication is, when you speak, some of you are going to lose your life for it. That's what he says. That's that's statement here. And he says, do it anyways. That's, that's a, what a thing to say. I'm going to send you out, and you're going to speak, and it is going to bring tribulation on you and even death, which happened to many disciples. I want you to speak anyways. That's what he says to him. That's, that's, call, that's calling boldness. And he says to him, don't fear the ones who can kill your body. Rather fear in the sense of what really matters is the one who holds, holds uh, life death in his hands, Christ himself, God himself. He's the one to listen to. And he's saying go. So go up boldly. I'm, I'm not a bold person. Um, and uh, we kind of want to work our way into things sometimes. It doesn't mean to be rude. That's not what the word boldness means. Um, it, it means to be wise, Jesus says, to, be, to, be, um, to do things in ways that please him. 
but to, to make sure the gospel goes out, to speak it out. Thirdly, he demands a priority of love and allegiance to himself alone. God wants us to love one another. We're told to be sacrificial and love for each other. Um, we should love our families, husbands or wives or kids, other people, people that we don't know we're called to love. And yet Jesus says here, the priority of love and allegiance needs to be to me. He makes a very strong claim that verse 37. It says, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy. And the one who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy. I'm trying to figure out some way to soften this. This doesn't work. Um, he's saying, I, I, I want to be the center of it. And when I'm in the center of it, guess what you get to do? You get to walk really well. That's the other side of this. But it starts out with saying, God, do whatever you've got to do to make sure you've got a center place in my life. That you have my full allegiance, my full desires upon you first. And tell the disciples, make him first. And then lastly, enough word demands his right but he says there will be suffering this, this whole thing has been about that but it's repeated all through the rest of the New Testament um, there will be suffering verse 38 whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of it you're going to find your life to lose but you lose your life for my sake um, you'll find it and losing our life can be through death but it's oftentimes it's giving up our own desires isn't it it's, it's casting ourselves aside and putting him first in the things that he wants to do. And so he says there will be suffering. And rather than um, trying to avoid it, it's coming. Understand that's what I'm calling you to. Um, the, the heart of this message here is really is that the path of the gospel is, I, I want to say it can be a path of suffering. Jesus is saying it is a path of suffering. It is. Doesn't mean that we suffer all the time, um, but that is the suffering is part of the road that he calls us to walk on, and the road Jesus walked on was the path of suffering as well, um, over and over and over again. You go through the rest of the Testament and just look up how many times it talks about suffering, and it's all over the place. And part of that is designed to shape us, to make us people that are dependent and trusting. Um, part of it is to make us as a testimony to the world that there's truth here, that we, that we live for it even in the midst of suffering. And part of it is just the reality of being in this world, that there is a place of suffering. So when the gospel goes out, um, it disrupts, it divides, and it demands. And by the way, it transforms as well, doesn't it? It transforms. Final word here. Um, like I said, I find myself, I, I just wanted desperately to figure out a way to soften all this, to bring in some other verses, going, this isn't really true. It's kind of just this thing. Um, which I can find some of those, but they won't, won't work. Um, some way that it would not call to such sacrifice, or not seem to expect so much, it seems so impossible. But as I said, the way of the cross is a difficult path, and there's always a cost of some kind whether a loss of life, and that's happening today in the world. Um, for some, it's losing our, our work or, or our rights or just a sense of safety sometimes, even here. It might be for us a uh, tension in the family that's just ongoing. And there's a, uh, that ache in the heart that it brings in our own homes. It could just be the trial of denying ourselves 
and our dreams and our hopes and the things that we just really wanted to see happen. And God's saying, not now. I want you to walk this path. The disciples are, in their life, are going to lose everything. They're going to actually lose everything. Um, the, the, okay, this is part of Jesus of Nazareth series. Um, is that in the 70s? Right? It seems like yesterday to me. Um, but uh, there's, a, there's a scene where um, they've been kind of following Jesus a bit. And at the, he gives a final call to follow me. And uh, Peter is standing by the, by the side of the, uh, the lake, Sea of Galilee, in his boat. You know, men love their boats. Um, I grew up with boats. They, they love their boats. And um, despite the fact all the money that goes into and goes down the drain. But they love their boats. And his, his fishing boat is in there. And the guys that are working for him are in the boat. And Jesus is walking away from the sea, from the scene. And Peter shoves the boat off. And he's just standing there watching him go. And just, um, that just always does something in my heart. It was like, that life is over. The life that his life is done. And um, it costs us something to walk with him. There's a, and disciples here are going to lose everything. And yet they still followed. They still, when Jesus said, now go, they all went after he said this. And what did Jesus offer? Because he does offer them something. Jesus, give them something. You know, give them something to, to encourage you. Give us something in the middle of this. Such a difficult passage. And he does. He gives us basically two little verses, two or three verses here. Verse 29, he says this to them. In the middle of all this, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? In other words, sparrows are like... I mean, if you like them, I'm sorry, but like, they're like the pigeons out here that drive me crazy. Um, and he says they're, 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 they don't cost anything. They're just, they're, they're everywhere. They would consider them expendable, nothing here. Our two sparrows not sold for a penny, and yet not one of them, he says, will fall to the ground apart from the Father knowing it. And then he looks at the disciples and says, even all the hairs on each of your heads are numbered by me. I know you that well. He says, so fear not, because each of you are more value than any sparrows. The, the bottom line, Jesus says, don't be afraid. I care about you. I, the God of the universe, care about you. And his, he offers them the two things that I think are the two things every single one of us needs above everything else. Everything else will be taken away. I need to know that God loves me. <clears throat> Not always, all the time. I need to know his love and kindness, and I need to know he's with me. If I think he's not with me, I think I'm not loved, it just things fall apart. And the disciples go, that's enough. We, he loves us, cares about us, we're not just being cast off, and he's going to go with us. Jesus walks the same path. And that is the word um, he gives to us as well. He encouraged them with his loving kindness and his presence. And that's the promise, and for them it was enough. Knowing that I'm loved and knowing that he's right with me. Yes, um, that's enough. I was One of my times in the desert, I, the, the, the uh, question that came to me is, what, what do I want from him? And I had a whole list of stuff. But God said, go and get to do one of them, okay? Go and get one of them. And the bottom line was that he, that he loved me, that he was with me. Um, everything else could go. 
Last night, I actually, at, the, at the, this, I gave us a stone. What should we do? Because I always want something to do, right? And so I came up with three things. I wrote my sermon rules, which is never introduce new material in the conclusion. I did it last night. And so I thought, today I'm not doing that. Um, Jesus leaves us with that. He says, uh, he leaves and gives this big statement to us. It's given to disciples, it's given to us as well. Um, and what he leaves us with says, this is what the gospel will do. I want you to take the gospel out. Live it fully. Let people see the kingdom of God in you. And this can be what happens. And what I'm going to give to you is my love. I care about you. I'm right with you. And then go. That's what he gives to us. And so that's what he leaves us with as well. One of my, my heroes of the faith is William Tyndale. I've talked about him before here. Um, translated from the original languages into English for people. Um, he wasn't just a scholar, because I like that part of me. He studied very well. But um, he would take two days a week, and he would just go out and find people that were on the wayside, minister to them, take care of them, feed them, do those things. But he translated the, the word of God into English so people could read it, and he was burned at the stake for it um, in 1535. Um, one of his pamphlets he wrote, um, he has a line in his pamphlet, and he says this, he says, the word myself is not in the gospel. Um, obviously the gospel is for us, but the gospel itself is not about us. Um, it's about God and his kingdom and bringing life and preciousness. And the idea there was, I'm going to take this to people, and whatever that costs me, it's a small thing. It's a very really small thing. Um, and he, at a very young age, um, gives his life as he goes out. And so it's a matter of, will we go out? Will we trust him? Will we be the kind of people that carry it um, faithfully? I'm going to have Brian, if you guys can make your way back up here. Um, Jesus speaks these words to the disciples, and they're really hard, and they're hard for us. But then he doesn't just kind of walk away and say, good luck with that. Jesus walks the same path. And we have the table here every single week that's open to believers to gather around the table as a church together. Um, remember that Jesus walked that way before us. Um, all the things he said are going to happen, they all happen to him in the, the most extreme way possible. Um, as a matter of fact, the very disciples who he's speaking to all abandon him and betray him and walk away from him. He's left completely alone. Even on the cross, he says the Father of the sin and forsaken he experienced the fullness of loneliness. And so we get to come up to the table and gather around going, he calls us to, uh, to live out the gospel. And he went before us. Before. Jesus knows exactly what's going on with us. And we can come around the table and remember his work that was done for us as he walked on that path of suffering. Let me read from uh, 1 Corinthians concerning our table. It says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus... On the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. He had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, it's being given for you. Do it remembering me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and he said, This cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, and do it remembering me. As often as you eat this bread, as we do today, and drink this cup, you are proclaiming God's, the Lord's death, until he comes again. So let me pray. Um, and then you are welcome to come to the table as we sing uh, and remember him and to ask for his work in our life. Um, and then we'll focus with our, our benediction. But thank you for um, 
thank you for your word. We thank you for walking the way and the path of suffering, one that we know very little about. Thank you that you went all the way to the point of death on the cross so that we could, um, the gospel could invade our hearts for us to have received it, transforming us and making us new and opening up a, a path of life that we have never known. So as we gather around the table, Lord, and we take the bread and the cup and remember your sacrifice, uh, be honored in our midst. Strengthen our own hearts even as we take it together. Um, and encourage us as we um, desire to follow you in your love. In Jesus' name.